Hello and welcome to another ATNWB podcast. I'm your host, Chris Taylor. You can always find me on the internet at Zeitkreist. And I'm here with my co-host today, who is Alex Wilson, who is a lecturer at the University of Arkansas. But it's a specific University of Arkansas, but it's the one with the Razorbacks. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So come on now, even though you're already here, Alex. Hi, Alex. Hello, everybody. Hello. How's it going out there? It's it's great. In the Arkansas. (laughs) <laughs> it's great. True Detectives out right now, which is filmed in this area. That's been big advertising for Fayetteville. Uh, oh, that's really good. Yeah, it's good. It's also, I mean, it's like other True Detective seasons, though, where it's showing all the worst parts of Fayetteville, but still, <laughs> yeah, it but looks I, pretty. You got Mahershala Ali out there, so that's yes, pretty cool. That was cool. Yeah, he's a pretty intense, wonderful actor. I heard nothing but nice things about him. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's very humble. Uh, so first, we're going to be getting into DC Comics news, more specific DC Comics within the film and TV realm. So the first bit of news is Ian Zaring of 90210 and Sharknado fame will play the Blue Devil, also known as Daniel Cassidy, on the DC Universe's upcoming Swamp Thing series. Blue Devil entered the comic book arena in 1984. So that's kind of a newer character for DC Comics. I guess not as new as Harley Quinn, but still pretty new. The character of Daniel Cassidy is a stuntman turned actor. The news about Zaring describes this new iteration as being a washed-up, out-of-work actor for eight years. In the comics, a real devil mistakes him in a blue devil costume for an actual devil, and their fight gives him powers and melds him to his costume. So that's what happens in the comic books. Wow. I don't think I've ever read that character in the comics before. Me um, neither. It, it, it's not from specifically Swamp Thing, is it? It's just from the DC Universe? Yeah, or? I think it's just generally from the DC Universe. Okay. I'm, although I'm sure they've crossed over since yeah. then. Moving on to Stargirl. The Injustice League will be in Stargirl for the DC Universe streaming app. Tigress will be played by Joy Asmansky, Sportsmaster by Neil Hopkins, and Dragon King by Nelson Lee. Tigress can be traced back to Huntress's roots all the way back in 1947, as can Sportsmaster all the way back to 1947. These two later married in a comic, and Breck Brazinger Brazinger will portray Stargirl. She's from a Nickelodeon show, Bella and the Bulldogs. Mm. (laughs) I'm definitely not familiar with that. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I am slightly familiar with Sportsmaster. I mean, it isn't as his name implies. He is a master of any sport he attempts. Yeah, and I think he has, like, football garb, like, all over him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that plays on television. Yeah, it's a very ridiculous character, so (laughs) to actually see them portray this will be very interesting. Stargirl was created by Jeff Johns, who's actually the executive producer of this show, and he actually launched his career as a comic book writer at the creation of Stargirl, and he actually created it after his sister died in a plane explosion in 1996 yeah so so it's always very close to him obviously greg berlante is also producing this show as well i think he legally has to produce every show that's on television (laughs) yeah and especially obviously with anything dc related they have to involve him in some capacity yeah yeah which is really good for greg berlante he show ran the last couple seasons of dawson's creek i don't know if you know that yes do you know what show he created for the wb network post dawson's creek not i'm blanking right now it was called everwood 
Oh, that's right. Mary Lauren loves that show. My wife. It was um, a really great show. Yeah. Chris Pratt was on it. Yeah. A lot of great people. Yeah, and Emily Van Camp, two yes. two Marvel alum now. Yeah, we're on that show together and played brother and sister. Yeah. Hmm. Excellent, excellent show. I highly suggest it. I've been actually going through all of the WB Network shows and trying to watch them, the ones I never got to when I was a teenager growing up with them. <laughs> so I actually went back and watched Everwood and Dawson's Creek, and I fully enjoyed both of them, I must say. Are you? Are you going to work through Smallville or are you going to skip over the... I'll probably skip over Smallville just because it's so much. Yeah. I have watched The Flash, though, although I didn't watch Arrow. But I watched the original Flash from the early 90s before I watched the new Flash, which is a really fun idea. Just because you see the one actor who played the original Flash, you know, he comes back. He plays the dad in the new Flash. And he's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he was also uh, Dawson's dad on Dawson's Creek. There's actually one really great episode of Smallville where it's a young boy who's kind of this drifter and it turns out, spoiler alert, to be a younger version of The Flash. You kind of get to see Clark Kent mentoring him while he's visiting Smallville. And that one is actually worth a watch because it's got a lot of heartfelt moments in it. That's cool. Um, yeah, I know they did like a mini Justice League on that show, right? Yeah, they brought characters in and out. I don't know if they actually brought them together in the same way, obviously as the movies have done it but they they have appearances from different members of the justice league i think cyborg has a couple episodes and that earlier episode with the flash but i don't know if they actually team up to fight big bad for a particular season yeah well first i was talking about john wesley ship before specifically that was oh, the yeah. original flash and then he's He's in the new Flash show, and he was Dawson's dad. You're talking about episode 405 of Smallville, entitled yes. Run. And the one kid who plays, I guess, would be the Flash, right? Yes. Um, or he plays Bart Allen, specifically, it says in here. He was on Veronica Mars. Yes, that's right. He's been in a few other things. He definitely developed a little career after that. Yeah, he's... Um, he was he's, excellent for a teen actor. Yeah, he's very yeah. talented. He's he's like, he's tiny, too, which I yeah, think works in his favor a lot. Mm -hmm. right, maybe I'll have to watch that episode. Maybe I'll try to figure out something, like I'll watch the episodes with important casting. Yeah, because Justin Hartley plays Green Arrow on uh, Smallville, and so... He I must have been so angry when he wasn't cast as Arrow in Arrow. <laughs> yeah, he was one of those, and I think they deal with this on This Is Us a little bit, he was one of those actors that he was so good-looking for the time that he missed out on a lot of roles because he had this very pretty face obviously and so whenever it came time for anybody to look for a grittier actor for some of these yes yeah, steve buscemi's get career. work you know like yeah. people who are weird looking get yeah. a lot of work in hollywood yeah. <laughs> it's not necessarily how pretty you are but it's just how interesting you look now he's on this is us so he's set yeah. i feel like that he also was rumored or he was almost in an aquaman pilot and he was uh, almost aquaman as well justin hartley unlike that one flash episode from smallville his green arrow plays a big part in the later seasons that's cool. Yeah, they did a whole Aquaman pilot in 2007 for the WB Network, but the WB Network folded in 2006 or became, you know, the CW. So mm. you can actually watch, it says part five, so it's in a bunch of different parts on YouTube right now. But yeah, he played Aquaman in 2007. That's crazy. In a failed pilot. So he's he's had his toes in the WB DC pool for a while. Yeah. yeah. 
And now he's over at NBC, which is good. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Meg DeLacy from The Fosters will play a character named Cindy Berman on Stargirl. Berman is the secret daughter of Dragon King, who acts as a nemesis to the Justice Society of America. And Jake Austin Walker from Rectify will play an undisclosed role. So I wonder what that's going to be. Yeah. Did you watch all of Rectify? I think it was an AMC show. It was, and I watched a lot of the first season, but I didn't see every episode. But he's a fantastic actor, so it'll be interesting to, to see what he ends up playing yeah, that show, uh, I, I watched the pilot for that show. This show was so intense, Rectified. It follows his character after he's released from prison, and he's been in prison for like 20 years, and it kind of deals with the town dealing with him reemerging, and some people either believe he committed the crime he committed, or some people don't. It's him trying to kind of move past all that. It was created by Ray McKinnon, who is actually a writer from Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, wow. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, good for Arkansas. Yeah, they had a, they actually had a few writers from Arkansas who were on that staff, so that was a really good shot for Arkansans. That's very cool. Yeah. A bunch of new promotional images have appeared ahead of the February 15th release of Doom Patrol. And when this podcast drops, it'll be after February 15th, so Doom Patrol will already be on the DC Universe streaming app. The new promotional images they showed off are flashy. Each character has their own feel to them. They look really great from what i've seen the titans have already actually spoiler alert crossed over with doom patrol in a titans episode and actually each character poster has a different decade vibe robot man is very 80s while last the woman's is very 50s and crazy jane's is very 70s so it's kind of cool how they did that yeah each character has a feel of a different decade i think that's really cool yeah i agree i'm definitely excited to see what brendan Fraser and matt bomer do with those roles yeah it'd be really cool i think this is really going to take off actually because doom patrol has always been dc's response to x-men even though it came first but Mm. they they're in tandem with each other and finally having this become part of pop culture more as a tv series especially the two actors you've said but also with timothy dalton oh yeah as the like professor xavier basically to 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 make that parallel role and i think having an ex james bond is perfect for that kind of role and performance yeah he was excellent on penny dreadful also so he really was yeah it was cool that penny dreadful had two james bond alums on it with timothy dalton and ava ava green yeah yeah move back now to aquaman but not the failed pilot from 2007 we'll talk about the new movie with jason momoa and directed by james wan that took the world by storm Uh, Tsunami took the world by tsunami, I guess, would be more appropriate. (laughs) Uh, Aquaman has made over a billion dollars between domestic and foreign gross, and it took in... $316 in the States and $775 foreign. Compare that to the $668 million Man of Steel took worldwide, or the $873 million that Batman vs. Superman took in, or the $746 for Suicide Squad, the $821 for Wonder Woman, and the $657 for Justice League. Again, all worldwide grosses. It's kind of interesting to see their charts kind of going up and down, up and down with these releases, with Wonder Woman making more than 
Suicide Squad that came before it. Well, yeah, you have Man of Steel down in the 600s, and you have Batman vs. Superman up in the 800s, and then you go down again with Suicide Squad in the 700s, and then you go back up to the 800s again with Wonder Woman, and down to the 600s with Justice League, and then over a billion with Aquaman. So it seems yeah. like every other movie they're doing really well. A lot of times what the studios really like to do is whatever happens with that one film then they get very reactionary and try to reverse course or do something different for the next one but i'm really glad they didn't do that with aquaman because as you can see it made a billion dollars so just because justice league did poorly i'm glad warner didn't make the decision to like completely cancel or do something else with aquaman yeah i think they especially knew that they had something special with jason momoa definitely james wan teaming up i I just think that was such a good combination i bet they just saw that and they thought well hopefully this will be the kind of lightning in a bottle that we got with gal gadot and patty jenkins so maybe if we can just find pairs of people that either mesh well together or complete a vision we can just kind of keep going with that hopefully with the next batman movie that matt reeves is doing they find the right actor they can kind of continue this little idea of pairs of creators working well together yeah they actually have been talking about the next the batman as well since it's been dated now for release and in it they've um well they specifically said we want to get a recognizable actor to play batman and it's like i feel like instead of getting a recognizable actor get a semi-recognizable tv actor like you did with jason momoa that some people know but like you know other people haven't seen game of thrones so they have no idea who he is but everyone's treating him with respect because some people know who he is. You know, then Aquaman kind of puts him over that zenith of becoming super worldwide famous. And I think that's the kind of actor you need. Someone who's almost famous, but not fully there yet. And this, like Gal Gadot, she's a perfect example. Wonder Woman teetered her over the edge and now everyone knows who she is. Yeah, and Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa still feel like they're in that teachable tier of somewhat known actors, whereas it's like kind of what we've talked about before with Ben Affleck. What you see is what you get, and I, and I don't know how much direction you can give somebody who is so established. So if you can find kind of this right combination of a director who knows what they're doing and then, then an actor who is semi famous enough to draw crowd but also still you know willing to kind of learn and and mold themselves to the character exactly Uh, and i think warner was like oh people will come out for a ben affleck movie and then also come out for a batman movie but I honestly think people were like, oh, Ben Affleck's in this. I'm not going to see it. It was yeah. it was the opposite effect. Because that happened yeah. to some actors. Some actors get soured. The common people sour on certain actors after a while. Definitely. Michael Sarah, I think, was a perfect example oh, of that yeah. like 10 years ago. <laughs> well, and they, and they kind of grow out of that. They may hit a sweet spot at a certain part of their career. And then when they either age to a different you know level or demographic, they all of a sudden have to figure out, okay, how do I take the notoriety I developed when I was younger and evolve with it. And some people can, and then some people, like you're saying with Michael Sarah, it, it takes a little bit more time to figure that chemistry out. Yeah. Aquaman sits at $1.091 billion above any other DC Comics film. Also, if you want to compare that to the Dark Knight trilogy, Dark Knight Rises made one point. 
1.084 billion, The Dark Knight made 1.003 billion, and Batman Begins only made 372.7 million. Wow. I guess that was before IMAX and 3D and a push for international like they have now. Everything's yeah, a push for international in China and all of that now. Well, in Dark Knight, doesn't that specifically open on a shot where, or at least for uh, Christian Bale's character, like it, it opens up on a shot of him in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that that was where they were obviously very aware, okay, we need to start this movie off in international waters and go for that audience that we might not have gotten with Batman Begins. Very interesting to see Batman not in Gotham in a movie, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. If he's not in Gotham, there's a reason for it, and it's to get a Chinese audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least they loosely tied it in with, then his cover story was, wasn't he hanging out on a yacht as Bruce Wayne after the job went down, and that's how he spun it back home was, oh, Bruce Wayne goes off to the South Pacific and is just blowing money and when actually he's pulling a job. So I guess they try to like tie it in with what Batman would actually be doing. But yeah, yeah it, I like it, I like that aspect of the Dark Knight trilogy too, where Bruce Wayne was a performance for him. So he'd pretend yeah. to be this rich playboy as Bruce Wayne, like I will buy this hotel right now. Ha ha ha. Yeah. And, and it's just all a performance. And Batman is really the real the real him, while Bruce Wayne is the cowl that he actually puts on. Yeah. That's always how Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, portrays it too. He's always like, <laughs> when I play Bruce Wayne, I almost am like putting on a persona. When I'm playing Batman, it's more natural, and that's just that's who cool. the character is. Yeah. James Wan is a monster powerhouse. His first film was Saw, and he didn't direct the sequels. Then he made Insidious and the Conjuring and was sure to direct the sequels to have more control of the universe building since he didn't like the universe building in the Saw films. But then the third and fourth Insidious weren't directed by him and the Conjuring spinoffs Annabelle weren't directed by him either. Then he made Fast and Furious 7, which made $1.5 billion for Universal and the WB desperately wanted the Malaysian-born Australian Rays Wan to direct whatever DC property he wanted, and he chose Aquaman because of the Tolkien-esque world-building and storytelling that can take place in the sea. Yeah, that was a big shot in the dark for him to pick Aquaman just because nobody at that time could envision how you could create it on screen, but obviously he did something right. Exactly, yeah. He felt that the sea was completely untapped in storytelling potential and had enough storytelling within the sea and the worlds of the sea, enough to parallel the Tolkien Lord of the Rings films and universe or the Harry Potter universe or even the Star Wars universe. He felt that Aquaman and underneath the water was rich enough to develop you know hundreds of stories within yeah and to that credit it's got all this built-in mystery that you don't even need a lot of exposition or backstory for it's just there are all these myths of Atlantis have been floating around no pun intended obviously before Aquaman and so to be able to tap into that kind of mythos that everybody's aware of and exploit it uh, was yeah that hasn't been tapped into yet exactly yeah yeah they originally like do you want Flash and he's like like, no, I don't want Flash, because if you really think about it, there isn't a lot of world building you can do with Flash. You can time travel a lot, which is a lot of fun, and maybe build up different universes. But if you actually want to build one universe, I think 
Aquaman was actually the best way to go. And he also wanted to prove people wrong because Aquaman was never taken seriously in our pop culture and American pop culture. So he actually wanted to prove all those people wrong and that you could take Aquaman very seriously, which people have and have now. And it's Warner's bread and butter now. While they're still making a Batman movie, I feel their main focus now is Aquaman and Harley Quinn. Batman's kind of on the back burner as one of their main characters, which is fine. He's been the main character since 1966. Like, leave him be. Let that character rest for a while. You have hundreds of thousands of other characters to pull from in your DC library. And there have been so many iterations of Batman. And when you think about it, I mean, his counterpart in the Marvel Universe, Iron Man, there's been one live action Iron Man. So So crazy. Yeah, DC definitely needs to have a little bit of a break. Or if what they're going to do with the Matt Reeves version, I thought I heard rumors that they're going to go younger or or at least kind of do something slightly different. But yeah, they're saying younger. And then on Kevin Smith's podcast, Fat Man Beyond, which is an appropriate title since they've been, the last two episodes, been talking specifically about how a Batman Beyond live action movie would be really amazing. And then you get back one of the original Batman to play old Bruce Wayne. So you would obviously get back Michael Keaton to play old Bruce Wayne. That'd be great. Yeah. And I think, I mean, if Michael Keaton doesn't want to do it, then I think you get Kevin Conroy to play a live action Bruce Wayne. He has, he's aged really well. Like he has this really, he's a cool looking older man now, Kevin Conroy. And I think he can pull off an old Bruce Wayne really well. I've never actually seen him act. I know he's in an episode of Cheers somewhere. You could get Val Val Kilmer and then redub him with with Kevin Conroy. That would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to replace Christian Bale's dialogue with Kevin Conroy dialogue throughout the Dark Knight trilogy. Where is he? And and, and then instead you have like you know Kevin Conroy, the actual yeah, Batman you have a, voice. You have a person's voice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a real person's voice. So obviously the folks at CW thought Ruby Rose's Batwoman was a great idea, and it worked in the DC crossover event back in December. So they are casting now for the pilot. Mark Pedowitz, the president of the CW, has also said that he never wants the CW DC universe, which I think should be called the DCW universe. Yeah, that's fair. To continue. He wants it to continue forever. So he's saying that instead of ending Arrow, it seems like what he's saying is they might do front of the season, like fall season, shorter season for something like Arrow. And then in the spring, you premiere something new. So you always have something kind of new happening, a new DC property coming into the fold uh, while you're still curating the old content and making sure that those contracts still you're not giving the actors from arrow as much money because they're only doing 11 episodes instead of 22 now but you're still keeping that show going as well i think that's what might be happening and that's that's such a smart idea especially in tv to have these backdoor pilots where you have okay let's try ruby rose as batwoman and if we don't like it we don't have to spend a bunch of money on a pilot but we still have an episode you know for our existing universe and i think they did that on legends of tomorrow a lot where didn't they add Constantine for a second to Legends of Tomorrow? Yeah, he's Um, on an episode of one of them. It's the same Constantine that was on the Constantine show on NBC. The same actor. Oh, who then did the voice for Constantine in one of the DC animated films as well. But that's great, because I mean, then it's like, okay, well, if if we haven't figured out a Constantine live-action show and we're still figuring out that character, why not put him in a show that's working and give the character a little chance to breathe and develop without investing too much money into 
their own series. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the cool things they did when he guest starred on whichever series he guest starred on and reprised his role as Constantine was that he takes a peacock feather and itches his like head with it for a second. And it's supposed to represent because NBC canceled his series oh, that he was God. like, kind of yeah. like, yeah, since NBC <laughs> is the peacock. Yeah, that was pretty neat. But yeah, it's uh, it's all about like curating new content, but also curating the old content and making sure it still stays relevant. But not, I think, as the shows progress, they'll do less and less of the the older shows, but still keep them going. Yeah, Margot Robbie also showed off the front of her screenplay for Birds of Prey, and she added her own subtitle, titling the film now "Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn." But yeah. the movie is on imdb that's the full title of the movie now really? <laughs> yeah and they've also unveiled a short teaser of harley in costume as well as some of the other cast in costume warner seems to like the idea of filming the dress fittings and throwing them up online and it looks pretty cool so far what they've yeah. been showing off I wonder if that gives them a chance to slyly crowdsource some opinions on whether people love the costume or if they need to do a little bit of tweaking. Unlike what happened with Jared Leto's Joker, where everyone was like, this looks awful. And they're yeah. like, oh, we'll change it. And they've already filmed stuff, so they weren't going to change anything. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Or, yeah. Or Nick Cage's Superman, where, uh, I mean, they never made it, but when you release those images and people see it, and it's just like, that looks ridiculous. So, yeah, <laughs> that looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> Still would have been interesting to see that movie. Yeah, I'd love to see him in the role. I just that costume looked like a Halloween costume of Superman. It's so silly, yeah. Just the fake muscles. Anyway, that's another podcast. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, the the fake muscles of the yeah. of the 90s Superman that never happened. <laughs> Moving on to the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Warner pushed back production of Fantastic Beasts 3 to late fall. The now obvious rumor swirling around is that they are going back to just a trilogy of films. The original Fantastic Beasts movies were going to be three movies, a trilogy. Then after execs were impressed by early looks at where to find them, they extended it to five. It may jump back to three now, using this extra time to rewrite the film to fit in all the stuff J.K. Rowling has up in her mind. I enjoyed Crimes of Grindelwald a lot, actually. It didn't have the baggage of being based off of a book, so I wasn't like waiting for my favorite scene to maybe or maybe not show up in the movie. And it didn't have the baggage of the first Fantastic Beasts, where we were all like, what is this? What's happening? Why is this a movie? And this one, they do go back to Hogwarts. Hogwarts and Crimes of Grindelwald, and you do see, obviously, Dumbledore, a young Dumbledore's in the movie. They play a lot with your nostalgia for some of these older Harry Potter characters from the original films, but also it's a brand new story, and it completely takes off in its own way. And while they're showing you, look, this is what the movie is, this is actually what the movie is underneath, which is so much cooler and really cool once you get all the way through it. Yeah, I definitely agree about the first one that it, they kind of proved themselves with Fantastic Beasts and I still actually have to see Crimes of Grindelwald so I'm probably in for a good time but did you but read yeah. the books? I read Fantastic Beasts but it, it didn't from what I remember it doesn't have a narrative it's more of uh, it was it's an encyclopedia oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh now I'm talking Cursed Child no I never read Cursed Child uh, but um, I've heard good things about that yeah well they had the How to Play Quidditch and they had the Encyclopedia of Fantastic Beasts and then 
when she wrote the screenplays for Where to Find Them and Crimes of Grindelwald and released those as books as well. But they're just uh, screenplays in a book format. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they've got it. I mean, there's the History of Magic that she published. So, I mean, there's she could even do something with that. Yeah. And that's uh, the thing. Like you said, there's also Cursed Child, which is two plays. Yeah. There's a part A and a part B or part one and part two of it. I mean, there's so many other Harry Potter stories to tell. For instance, Beetle the Bard can be broken down into different films. That was a bunch of different fairy tales within the Harry Potter universe. And like we were just saying, How to Play Quidditch can be its own series of films. And obviously, Cursed Child will probably be made into a trilogy with the original kid actors at some point. I'm sure of it. I can see that. I'm so sure they're going to grab onto that nostalgia and take it from two plays to three movies. And that was great. I, I read that and I was really blown away by how much fun it was. So I definitely suggest, yeah, all of Cursed Child if you haven't done all of it. Okay. Is Cursed Child, I know Cursed Child is coming to Broadway, but did it, is it coming to LA probably? I think it will be. Yeah. Yeah. Probably once they go on tour post Broadway, I'm sure. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Moving on to Warner Pictures and WBTV. This is really funny because we were just talking about this in the last episode, but Machinima is shuttering. Warner Brothers is closing down machinima the company had 100 employees and there's only a handful remaining who are actively providing services to supercharge the combined portfolio of otter media said a spokesperson meaning otter media is of course the new media company that at&t owns and so all of the new media assets have been folded into otter media and all they're doing is building up otter media now with all of the dead stuff left over from machinima and all these other new media companies that they own yeah i definitely don't know if i was one of the handful of employees left i don't know how active i would be in providing services to otter media but we'll see what actually happens with that it's very true Uh, i bet they're all probably super angry but hopefully if otter media just gets bigger and bigger they'll be able to rehire a lot of those people yeah hopefully because hopefully that's what they would do with filmstruck once they figure out the three tiers of Warner Media is figure out how to get those people in on those different levels. Yeah, how to bring them back. Yeah. Braun Creative has made a pact with Warner Pictures to co-finance six of their upcoming films. Warner Brothers originally had a pact with Rat Pack Dune Entertainment, but after co-owner and director of the Rush Hour trilogy was accused not only of sexual assault, but also of rape mere days after receiving an award handed to him by Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins, they ended the Rat Pack Dune co-financing deal. Rat Pack financed every film the WB made except for the Harry Potter franchise. Uh, So like the Fantastic Beasts movies were never part of their deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Weird with the influx of AT&T cash that they would still need to co-finance their pictures. But unlike Disney, who remains the only studio to self-finance, they don't have cruise ships and they don't sell like themed Naboo dresses (laughs) at like crazy dress shops and stuff. So they don't sell and make as much profit as Disney does to finance their movies themselves bring up cruise ships i wonder if there was some secret development that happened at warner brothers at one point to try to throw around the idea of like oh do we do like a dc themed cruise or do we do a harry potter themed cruise there had to have been and you know what i'll look it up but i bet you there was something 
Cause I mean, people would pay tickets for a Harry Potter cruise, whether it was good or not. Easily. Although the Harry Potter cruise rights might be at Universal for some reason. Oh, you that's know, true. I don't, we don't know, since the theme park rights are over at Universal. Yeah. And actually, one interesting thing is J.K. Rowling really wanted to use screens on some of the rides. That way that they could get away with using the actors' likenesses within from the films. Oh, okay. Which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, because I don't think they could like build stuff with them, but they can use their likenesses from the movies. And I don't know if they can film new stuff. I'm not sure, actually. Mm. Yeah. But I'll look it up. It's also interesting. Warner used to co-own Six Flags. I don't believe they do anymore. And they actually have a couple theme parks, one in Dubai and I believe one in Australia. Wow. Yeah. The movies that are being co-financed by Braun are Clint Eastwood's The Mule, The Walking Phoenix starring Joker, the Ben Affleck-directed Torrance, a New Line Cinema's Isn't It Romantic?, that rom-com which makes fun of rom-coms it's like a meta rom-com and then these two movies the kitchen and super intelligence interesting yeah now the 15 to 25 percent stake that rat pack dune had in 76 of the wb films that were released over the last four years so supposedly this is the end game for a lot of production companies is cashing out after a lucrative deal with a major studio they probably would have re-upped their deal with warner brothers if brett ratner hadn't been accused of rape last year no they definitely would yeah now vine alternative investments attempted to purchase this small stake the 15 to 25% of these 76 WB films that Rat Pack co-owned. But once the price ballooned to $300 million, Warner had a chance to bite, and they did. They originally thought that the deal would be worth about $250 million, but at the end of the day, Warner Brothers bought the rights for around 290 to $300 million for all of those films, hmm. which is very smart because now they own, if not all, the majority stake in all of these huge huge movies they released over the last four years i can just read some of those movies quickly i mean they include gravity the lego movie the godzilla film let's see creed oh wow it's on here yeah the man from uncle annabelle horrible bosses 2 inherent vice jupiter Ma ascending <laughs> yeah <laughs> magic mike xxl max that dog movie <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road, San Andreas, Batman vs. Superman, Keanu, The Conjuring 2, Suicide Squad, Ready Player One, The New Tomb Raider, Paddington 2, which they actually bought from Weinstein Company as that was going under. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Storks, which is one of their animated films, uh, the Lego Batman movie, the Lego Ninjago movie, Dunkirk. Wonder Woman, that King Arthur Legend of the Sword movie that bombed. <laughs> that was Guy Ritchie. And now Guy Ritchie's directing the live-action Aladdin, which I'm afraid is going to bomb. Yeah. Kong Skull Island. I was going to say one more. And uh, Going in Style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They own more of those movies now, so they'll be making the full profit from those films over the next you know, 10 years as they put them on their own streaming service and things like that. Good for Warner Brothers. 
Yeah. This is news that makes me very excited. I'm so excited for this project, I can't even tell you. But Richard Roundtree is stepping back into the shoes of the character he made famous in the 70s, Shaft. Tim Story is directing the next iteration of Shaft, which brings back the original, as well as Samuel L. Jackson's Shaft. Samuel played Roundtree's nephew in the 2000 film, which he's reprising here. And of course, we have the newcomer, Jesse T. Usher, who played Will Smith's son in Independence Day 2 Resurgence. He'll play John Shaft Jr., the estranged son of Samuel L. Jackson's Shaft. Alexandra Ship, who just portrayed Storm in X-Men Apocalypse, will also be in the film. Now, I love the Samuel L. Jackson one. Incredible performances by both Christian Bale and, more importantly, Jeffrey Wright, who gives the perfect tour de force performance as People's Hernandez. This will be in theaters on June 14th, 2019, but it seems like two weeks later it'll be on Netflix internationally as Netflix backed half the $30 million budget. New Line, a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, got the rights to Shaft back in 2015. Here, Shaft Jr. is an FBI agent, but has a degree in, of course, cybersecurity from MIT, and the movie is being called Son of Shaft. But I wouldn't be surprised if they just call it Shaft when it releases. Yeah, get rid of the Son of. It should just all be Shaft. Yeah. So I'm so excited to see, you know, Samuel Jackson's going to play a smaller role throughout the film, but still excited just to see him come back as Shaft. And this new kid, Jesse T. Usher, I didn't see Independence Day 2, but I'm very excited to see what he can do with the role. Yeah, it should be cool. I, I mean, it'd be awesome if secretly Christian Bale was also in it, but they just have been able to keep that a secret, but... I'm sure he won't be. That'd be really cool. Did you see the 2000 film with Samuel I did, Jackson? I, I did not. That's why I was I was amazed that he was in it. So now I need to go back and actually watch it. Yeah, I'd highly, highly suggest that, again, just for Jeffrey Wright's performance in that movie. Like, he should have won an Oscar. It's that great. But I did, uh, back in, I don't know if it was 2010 or 2011, but I worked at the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival that they do every year uh, in Hollywood. And they were honoring Shaft, the original. That's and Richard really cool. Wright, Richard Roundtree made an appearance, and I've never seen a bigger crowd of older women just go nuts. They were all 15 when he stepped out of yeah, when he stepped out of a limo, and I'm sure that was just such a cool moment for Roundtree because it's like, yep, this is this is what my life was like. So cool. Yeah, definitely go back and check out that movie. And of course, Jeffrey Wright, he's on Westworld now. And he was in he was in the second Hunger Games film, Catching Fire. I don't know if he was in the third and fourth one. But in those movies, I didn't like the first Hunger Games film, but I really like the second one, actually. Yeah. Like as far as a directing standpoint and acting standpoint, I thought the second one and writing, I thought it was it was so far above and beyond the first movie. Yeah, I think the director for Water for Elephants took over the of directing for the second one and so i could definitely see how his style kind of helped give a little structure and yeah. give a little more uh, weight to what's happening yeah francis um, lawrence yeah exactly yeah yeah lmu um, alum yep that's, loyola that's right. marymount university Mm-hmm. Michael Gandolfini has been cast as a young tony soprano in the sopranos movie prequel have you heard this yet no son of james gandolfini he'll play the role his father made famous And the movie has a title, too. It's The Merry Saints of New York. And this Jersey boy loves the title. (laughs) 
Alan Taylor is directing, original showrunner David Chase is writing, and I remember an old interview he did after The Sopranos ended. Do you remember reading this? We read no. this, and he was very bitter about The Sopranos being a TV series. He always wanted to make The Sopranos as a movie and pitched it around Hollywood, but HBO bought it as a show, then revolutionized television, yet he remained bitter and that he just wanted to make it an intimate movie about a monster and his mother taking influence from his own mother. I find that fascinating that David Chase just wanted to make this into a movie and then he made it into a TV show. He revolutionized TV forever with The and Sopranos. And he's still bitter about it, yeah. And, yeah, it's like you always have to check your goals at the door to a certain degree. It's like you try to do this and you end up doing this instead, which is even greater, but you yeah. still just want to do this little thing instead. Uh, it's just a fascinating insight into how the human brain works. Yeah, yeah, because at some point it just becomes something about other than money. It's just about what you want your legacy to be. And I'm sure for him, it's like, well, he, he still had the same feelings before he was famous and before it was a huge success. So I guess it had just been kind of brewing. Yeah. And after The Sopranos ended, he did make a movie with James Gandolfini and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I believe. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it, but I bet that does sound familiar. Yeah. Wasn't he a judge in that one, James I Gandolfini? I think so, yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see Michael, because Michael Gandolfini, of course, looks just like his dad. That's uncanny. That's going to be a tall order for a young actor. It's like all of a sudden you have to perform David Chase's words and, and work under Alan. Taylor, who hasn't he directed a bunch of excellent Game of Thrones episodes? He's directed, so. a, yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent episodes, and he did and Thor, Thor two. Yeah. The Dark World. And, Still well directed, but just, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Terminator Genesis. Ugh. Yeah. Terminator yeah, 5. Not, yeah, we'll, we'll pretend those don't exist, but the other stuff he did is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, so that's kind of a, a lot to take on your shoulders, but hopefully it'll be good. Yeah. Let's see, we have Greg Berlante is bringing another spinoff of Riverdale TV. This time it's coming to the CW by way of WBTV, and it's Katie Keene, based on the Archie comic about four iconic Archie characters living their lives as 20-somethings in New York City. Katie, in the future, probably in future seasons, will become a fashion designer. The show will also be a musical, and it should be noted that Katie Keene looks a lot like Katy Perry. <laughs> That's Interesting. Yeah, even like she dresses up as all these different crazy things, and there's pictures of Katy Perry and Katie Keene from the comics when they're dressed exactly the same, in the same outfits. It's really funny. And their they names definitely... are spelled the same, K-A-T-Y. So it's, if it's going to be a musical, they definitely need to get as a consultant the creator of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, because, I mean, that's kind of their bread and butter is that combining a, a drama really, and music. That would be a wonderful idea, because her yeah. show just ended, too. And Crazy yep. Ex-Girlfriend's just ended, and I think then they do like a live production of the music or something towards the end. Oh, maybe. I think I'm, because uh, I watch with Mary Lauren, and I think I'm a couple episodes behind, but... Uh... Okay. I don't watch it at all. Pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm sure it's great. And it's so hard to come up with how many songs they do per episode. It's at least two or three, but it's it's usually between three or four. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So they take on a lot every episode. Sometimes it's not just the main character. So they do a good job of feeding their supporting actors and really fleshing them out to the songs, too. That's really cool. It's so hard to write three to four new songs each week for a TV show. That's why Cop Rock failed. 
Cop yeah. Rock, you and my favorite TV show, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Easily. It's, it's like so ridiculous and just so amazing and it's so dark. Yeah, yeah everyone's it's singing. To, it's really <laughs> tough to, I mean, you can do it on Broadway, but as soon as you make it on TV, it's just really tough to deal with some of the topics they tried to deal with through music. So, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. And just hard, again, hard to just write three new songs every episode. That's why, while the Buffy musical is a really good exception to this rule but a lot of times when they do musicals on television for instance the Grey's Anatomy musical episode or the Scrubs musical episode they either take just existing music and just sing it like Snow Patrol Chasing Cars is the yeah. song I remember from the Grey's Anatomy musical everyone's singing yeah. let's waste time chasing <laughs> cars I only think of that episode when I hear that song now but then also they, just, scrub- had, oh, go ahead. they just had an episode this season where they played a Spanish cover of that song of course like the end (laughs) like that song to me is a more iconic Grey's Anatomy song than the theme song (laughs) yeah I agree Uh, and then Scrubs what they did was they took existing music from existing songs but changed the lyrics yeah. So that was so that was how they that'll help. Yeah. Yeah, that's how they got away with it. Katie Keene also originally Mark Pedowitz, the president of the CW, said that there was gonna be no crossover between Katie Keene and Riverdale because the characters of Riverdale earn their late teens while the characters in Katie Keene earn their like mid twenties, so they're older. So they wouldn't really fit together at all. But a week after they announced that Ashley Murray, who portrays Josie, Josie and the Pussycats Josie on Riverdale, has been cast in the Katie Keene spinoff. So he's like, Uh, that'll never happen to two weeks later. One of the main characters from that show is going to be on the other show forever. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, Mark Pedowitz. Which makes sense. Because like we were just saying, it's a musical, Katie Keene. So you would want to have Josie from Josie and the Pussycats in the musical show as opposed to the non-musical show. Although they sing in every other episode of Riverdale, which is really corny, but it works for what they're trying to do. Again, I love that show so much, but it's so that shit insane it's it's wonderful <laughs> i was just gonna say i haven't seen many episodes but i do remember in the pilot they had josie and the pussycats and i liked that idea but i was nervous as to how they were gonna continue weaving them into the storyline but luckily it sounds like with the tone of the show it's like it seems like it's just campy enough to where they can figure out ways to keep them involved it's so campy but then the mythology is really cool that they pull out of riverdale because they have this deep mythology of the town and the last names like the family names and how the families have actually been at war with each other for generations so they really deal with that a lot on riverdale which i think is brilliant it builds the mythology it builds the world it's really cool how they deal with all of that then you also have you know underground fight clubs that take place (laughs) in a jail that archie has to go through like ridiculous storylines but this new storyline for season three is fascinating so cool how they're doing it where they have a game that's dungeons and dragons-esque called griffins and gargoyles and when you sit to play the game certain kids just start dying and you start realizing that the events in the game are actually happening in real life to different people there's this character in the game that keeps coming up called the red paladin and it turns out that that's archie so 
Like people yeah. are trying to kill Archie to continue the game to a certain degree. And you have the gargoyle king who's this like, you know, guy dressed as a giant gargoyle. And you're like, is this real or is this magic? And they're trying to say, look, there's magic in this universe, but there isn't because of the Sabrina spinoff. So yeah. that does have magic in it. They don't want to say that there's magic in Riverdale. So this Griffins and Gargoyles game is trying to walk the line of magic and no magic in the universe and it's really cool how they're doing it it's fascinating it's great writing it's great stuff what they're doing yeah and that's going to be tough to balance because i know in sabrina they mentioned riverdale um, yeah. so i'm sure they have to be very careful since they're on different networks to not infringe on the storylines of each other too much but obviously when the worlds are at least loosely connected you have to have a little bit of that in there yeah yeah and while i don't think you'll ever explicitly see magic on on Riverdale, but you will a lot on Sabrina. That's the cool thing. Yeah, they're like hinting at it subtly this season yeah. throughout. But it can still make sense and completely be justified with our own reality, too, with how they're writing everything. It's really cool. Well, and someday if the CW doesn't want to make Riverdale Season 8, Netflix will buy it, and then they'll be able to do all the crossovers they want to do. Definitely. And Katie Keene is going to be on the CW, not Netflix, which I think is really great for the yeah. CW. So the CW brands, I don't even think, I know... The the CW brand is the strongest it's ever been with yeah, like the reboot of Roswell right now, which is great. I've been loving that the reboot of charmed. And then you have just the continuation of like the vampire diaries. They're on their third, well, their second spinoff. Now their third series in legacies, they did, Vampire Diaries, the originals and legacies. They have all the DC CW universe shows, the DCW universe stuff going on. They're at the top of their game right now. They know exactly what they're doing. I think it's great. Cool. Last thing, Warner Pictures has dated the next Christopher Nolan feature for July 17th, 2020, and will obviously be released in IMAX. When I think of Christopher Nolan, the word IMAX comes into my mind immediately. Like it's his middle name or something. Christopher IMAX Nolan. This is where he released his last four films deep in the month of July. And that's where his two Batman movies made each over a billion dollars. Yeah. Well, hopefully it'll be amazing and everything we want from the next Nolan movie. Yeah. Is yeah, Are there any leaks yet? Or I mean, they're pretty good at that by now where they know to keep most of that stuff in the house. I don't think we have any information about it whatsoever. It should be awesome. Yeah. Someone on the, I'm just looking at the internet and someone's like Sherlock Holmes could be his next movie I don't think he would ever do that he just did do three Sherlock Holmes movies it was called the Dark Knight trilogy like I don't think he would ever touch another franchise again unless he created said franchise so that's all the Warner news you can use <laughs> and abuse and light the fuse and be amused and eat your chews and Carlton Keys and Damon Lindelof oh I do a <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> so any any questions any further thoughts about anything that we went over it still amazes me every week how much stuff is being developed in the dc universe for television especially so it'll be cool to keep following up with that news and hopefully by the time this airs doom patrol will be out and amazing and everybody will love it very cool yeah all right so that's it for this episode of the at wb podcast do you want to tell the people where they can find you 
Alex online? <laughs> uh, you can't find me, people. Don't even try. I'm at Dr. Television on Twitter, but I rarely post except for the one time every century I'm promoting a script that's in a competition or what have you. So if you do find me, kudos to you. I make it hard. So Very cool. Yeah. Is it Dr. spelled out and with like an underscore or is it just no, DR? Just DR underscore television. Very cool. That will do it for this week. And that's all, folks. Roar! This has been a full dinosaur production.